Are you now, looking at this dam long enough, you see the turtles? This dam yep. is where life is. See what's happening on the water there? Oh, yeah. All them little oh, midges. Some... Something's been digging here. That was that was Mickey the other day. Ah, uh, okay. I had to sit here. Oh, yeah, because how do these turtles breed? Do they come up, bury eggs, or...? Uh, yeah, they, they drop their eggs on the island most of the time, <laughs> away from the foxes or in the reeds. Um, mm. They inbreed a lot. There's not that many left, but oh. they do travel. Like... So the ones that are left are, like, super rough. Or they'll bite you. There's teeth everywhere. Yeah. Let me let me just. <laughs> yeah. But no, they, they get along. They do all right. I'm not sure what the um, crossbreeding sort of inbreeding ratio for amphibians is. There's one there. Bug his nose up. Oh, it's oh one. yep. Made a ripple there. There's a couple in here. <laughs> like what? 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 I often thought about you know dragging them, dragging the dam, pulling them out. Yeah. Yabbies, marin. Yep. Um, duckweed. Got this dragonfly here. Mm. Actually, you could get this thing thriving with duckweed. I would cover it with duckweed. The There's water the... will be... There he is. His nose up. He's like, There's would you? Would you? There. you just want to do a Steve Irwin and dive in after him. Yeah. They stink. Uh, yeah, they did. They'll piss they, on they, you. They, they will I remember we, were, we nearly ran one over, so Dad stopped and picked it up, took it off the road. Mistakes were made. Pissed on him. Yeah. Yeah. There's gratitude. And you keep, you got to throw your clothes in the bin. Yeah. No, you got to burn them. Burn them. Let's burn. Don't throw them in the bin. Someone's got to process that. Yeah. Yeah, they're terrible. Yep. They, uh, they must feel the vibrations. Yeah, duckweed, uh, the natural filter. Yeah. They've got, yeah, the turtles and the duckweed. The duckweed's got me quite excited. Mm. I feel like you do a lot with that. I'm not sure how legal it is in WA. But there are some people who have it. Yeah, sure I know some some people who are doing it for aquariums, that sort yeah. of thing. You know, ponds. Yeah, like in the um, in an aquarium, it's easy, it's contained. Yeah. But Aquariums in the main and... waterways, you yeah. can see it getting away. But then you think, oh no, everything eats it. Yeah. So it can't get away that much. If anything, it would just do frog, frog. Oh, frogs. Frogs. Ah, oh, so many frogs. Look at these guys. Oh. oh look at them. Look at them. Look at them. They love it. They're just blending in. See where there's small frogs, Camouflage. there's bigger frogs. And where there's bigger frogs, there's tiger snakes. Yeah, there's always tiger snakes. Yeah. Saw one swim across this dam once, thought it was a turtle. It was not. Mm. It was just a massive, dirty grey snake. Yeah. The basilisk of tiger snakes. How much money would it would you require to swim in this stagnant dam? To be honest, I've done it. Yeah? Um, Why? Depression. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to feel alive. Yeah. The, the worst part about this dam... You wanted and, something to bite you. Yeah, the worst part about this dam is swimming in it. Like, there's nothing nasty in there except for a bit of bacteria this time of year when it's stagnant. The thing is, you get past the level of water where you can see into the murk and the silt mm. is up to your knees after about three feet. And then you go further in, oh. it's up to you. And that's where the darkness yeah. lies. That's that's where you start wondering. It's it's when the silt and the mud is up to your balls yeah. that you start regretting things and you feel mm. like you, you start swimming even yeah. though you still touch the bottom because you don't want to touch the bottom anymore. It's yeah. no longer security. Mm. The bottom stops being security and starts becoming the fear. You would rather swim in a void than touch the bottom. There's been a kangaroo here. Yes. See his tail there? Permanent water. Hop, hop, hop. He hasn't left. He went that way. Very deep footprints. It's a young one. 
And then there's the fox. Mm. That's he's, a, he's gone the whole way around. No, that's a, he's a big fox too. Yeah, and they catch the turtles. Okay. Every now and then you find a shell that's been chewed, all See, the bits they can reach. This is why we need stagnant waterways. It gives everything life. Now, I'm not talking about foxes. Look, we don't need them in the wild. They're definitely here to stay, though. They've yeah. become part of They have. They've Australia. adapted, just like dingoes adapted. Yep, and the um, native fauna, they've wiped out a lot of stuff in the areas, but the things that have survived the foxes are stronger for it. Yeah. And it gives different vegetations and different creatures who aren't in the foxes immediate grasp the chance to search forward. Climbing the bank of the dam we have, uh, we enter a, a plateau of grasses. So these grasses, it's a good thing you burnt these last season and they are just at that, at that level that's not overpopulated. You know, you can walk along in it and you can still see your feet. Yeah. It's just love grass. It's yeah. a, it's an African grass that's introduced. Yep. Definitely a weed. Very difficult to eradicate without poisons. Yeah. The best eradication strategy without poison is, is literally to, to outcompete it. The okay. more you can improve the quality of the soil and the other grasses that are growing, the more it can be pushed out. Uh, strategic burning and mowing and mm. then grazing over the new growth can really knock it back and prevent it from reseeding itself. Do you reckon the kangaroos touch it? I don't think they bother. Yeah. There's always something better than kangaroos. Fences aren't a barrier. Yeah. Um, kangaroos, you know, they do seem to be quite fussy. Well, they have the option. Yeah, they do. And they have the numbers. They do. And they have the room. Yeah. And kangaroo is a fine meal. I still have yet to have it. Oh. I, I feel like a failure well, you... as an Australian, having not eaten... Well, you've got to have it the right way. Mm. Uh, I will speak I've, to... I have eaten it as a biltong, as a, yeah. a cured smoked nick. Well, that, I haven't had it in that form. It's just a very unfatty yeah. biltong, basically. Very chewy. Um, mm. Seasoned right. It'll yeah. last you all day. It's what I used to eat when I was boxing because it's such a lean meat. Mm. And hence, I was a lean meat. <laughs> uh, but found out I was just cooking it all wrong. Yeah. So you, apparently you're just not supposed to fry it. You gotta. Well, of course, it has no no oils in it. Yeah. It? So it, it should just, be a stew. Just yeah. always a stew. Dries out. Uh, I don't know when when the Noongar do it or any any tribe. They usually just chuck the whole kangaroo on the fire. Yeah, that's right. Um, until the skin is black and charred. And then you peel off the skin and whatever's underneath is usually perfect. So <laughs> the skin acts as a as a barrier to flame. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, so I'd, I'd love to try roo tail. The tail of the roo is the only part with any significant fat in it. Yeah, and relaxed muscle because yeah. they only have to stand on their tail if they're threatened. Mm. Uh, and so that is the most relaxed muscle. Mm. Uh, I can't say I know which... I've had Kanga Bangers. Kanga Bangers. Yeah, so the, the, ma yeah, the main company that you'll find in any of your supermarkets is Macro Meats yeah, in Australia. Right. And they'll do uh, kangaroo steak, mm. kangaroo mince, mm. and Kanga Bangers. <laughs> I like it. Um, We've reached the top of a sand hill now. Hmm. Uh, that was previously semi-cleared and burned. It was a 
massive fire risk and also restricting the growth of what would be stock feeds for the sheep here on the farm. It hasn't been followed up on. However, the regrowth of the Banksia menzies plant, the plant native to WA, species of Banksia that flowers during the winter period, they've, they've sprung up all around. Their seeds are activated by fire. And so the clearing and burning has made them all spring into life and improve the health of the future forest, if not the current forest. And may I add, I also see the balance that it brings. You've got your banksias that stand out there, and then below you've got your grasses. Uh, these, these grasses that we're seeing here, what are they about? They're a native grass. I wouldn't know their name. I'm just happy that they're native. But yeah, when we look across this patch, and I remember we burnt this off about five years ago or something. Yeah, you were here. You, you guys even came and did a little bit of camp cooking. Yeah. It was, it was all a part of a project to but expand this, the yeah. farm. Then again, fighting the, the natural balance of the land here, these high outcrops of sand are better left untouched and uncleared because they are very unarable. They're useless for farming. Far more arable for my current vocation and passion in yeah, beekeeping. Bees where the plants that grow naturally on the land are the most valuable thing about the land itself. Mm, the most medicinal, In, the most unique, true. yeah. Yeah, medicinal WA has always been forgotten and left behind by the rest of the world a lot of the time, but we're really coming forward now as what is a central hub for producing medical and active honeys the benefits of nearly all the plants that grow naturally here and do produce nectars are second to none in the world, even against the Manuka product of New Zealand. The banksias here, the menzies themselves, and the candlestick banksias and bull banksias that grow alongside them all produce active honeys. They're high in antioxidants and antimicrobial enzymes that are unique and extremely powerful healers, natural healers that work even better than antibiotics in some cases. The it's, land provides. It does. It when all... the balance is right, it provides. And when the balance isn't right, it tells us. What's also worth noting is that all of these things were here before we tried to change it and make it into something we thought was useful. Mm. The greatest value in the land was as it was before we we saw its value. Mm. The European farming style and its inability to learn and evolve and adapt to different landscapes, I, in my personal opinion, I, I think that's the downfall of why farming can be so tough because you're trying to do European style farming. Yes. Uh, in an Australian landscape, which uh, it's extremely unforgiving if you don't know how to live it and work it. Even the farmers that have spent their lives working the land, in comparison to what these farming practices were when they were originally developed in places like Europe, the strain on water, mm. the strain on the land, the recharge of nutrients isn't there. Australia is a far older land meant for slower growing crops, slower growing trees. Look at the flowering of this balga. Balga is the Noongar name for the grass tree. And we see a male here with the stem coming right up and it's 
it's in season, it's flowering. So you can take those seeds that are poking out and you can grind them up and make a bit of a damper out of them. Uh, quite an art form to get all those seeds off that stem. Without getting spiked. Yeah, but I imagine you get quite a, um, quite a feed there. I didn't know about the damper. I knew the sap was useful. Yeah, and yeah, the sap in the, in the taller ones, yeah, when you get the sap, and that's basically a bush plastic, mm -hmm. you can mould that into anything you want, crush it up into granules, mould it, uh, heat it up until it goes runny, mould it into many different things. Actually, look here, see, so the stems are coming up, they're, they're in bloom. I wonder if the bees... The bees do work the, uh, the grass trees. They, it produces the dark honey. Yep. Uh, it's not... It's not always flush with nectar. Mm -hmm. They often flower in reaction to burning. Mm. The, the major flowering events that you will see from it, which have the potential for producing honey, even though they flower sporadically through spring to summer, not all of them at once, the best chance of getting any honey or seeing a massive flowering event it will be after a fire. And that mm. is in response to new nutrients in the ground, resources available in the land, which are only there if there is a clearing of the existing things mm. via fire, which the land has learned to adapt to, nothing in this land reproduces without fire. Without fire, it's a natural part of us. But recent prescribed burns and the ideas held by, I suppose, white culture and the government that's over overseeing the different practices that are going on are so far removed from what would have been the traditional use of the land, mm. the traditional owners, and the, the natural, I suppose, events that would have happened through lightning mm. and... See, when lightning strikes now, a fire comes up, people get a call, they go and put it out. They do. And they stop that natural... They stop nature from happening. Obviously because we're not nomadic anymore and we can't move, and so we have to stop the fire there. We fear it. Yeah, we, we fear it instead of using it, which is how humans evolved. They used fire to evolve. But the landscape itself isn't what it was. When fires could burn across thousands and thousands of acres and kilometres only to be put out once they reach the coast yeah. on a day where the wind is merciful enough to not push it further inland, Yeah, there isn't the forests anymore. There isn't those belts. There isn't the mass grouping of resources that are sacrificial. Now we have so little left of what was there that the loss of any of it through a massive bushfire is a very deep loss. It's a very concerning loss and irreplaceable. Yeah, we, I, I think the land has sent us a message um, and the whole world has heard it. And now we have to do our homework on how to move forward from this. Uh, and that is, that's what it's all about, I suppose. Um, you know, nothing, nothing really gets done until something terrible happens. And uh, that's just tragic. I mean, look, we still hear about the tragedies of, you know, great ocean liners that didn't have enough lifeboats, you know. Um, and, and we'll hear a fire that couldn't be put out because 
not enough fire was used previously. I suppose we're looking back at balance, aren't we? We are. We're talking about balance. On Patrick's farm, talking about balance. Thanks for listening. See you next time, guys. See you guys. <laughs>